the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we continue in our course that we're doing of study on what is our vocation as a kingdom of priests, that I thank God for what Father James has been bringing to the table for us to consider. Yesterday, or not yesterday, excuse me, last Sunday, while I was listening to him, there was something that really struck me, and I talked to Father James about it, so I'm sliding in here um, this week, because there's something that we need to discuss about a very critical role, and that we understand it rightly, and that is, as the priesthood of all believers ordained to that priesthood by virtue of our baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit, what is our role to participate with Christ as intercessor, as mediator, and as advocate for the life of the world, for the souls around us both inside the Ark of Salvation and outside? Okay, That's what we're going to talk about today. And I think we really need to have a very clear understanding of what God has called us to, to participate with Christ in such a critical ministry in our lives and in this earth at this time for every generation. So to begin with, so that we understand a bit about the posture of our role as intercessors and participating with Christ in his mediatorship and his advocacy for the life of the world, we have to start with the very structure in which we worship. If we don't see this, we're not going to understand, because remember, the liturgy and how God has set the stage for the liturgy tells us everything about our life in Christ, absolutely everything. And so let's look at the shape of the temple for just a second so that we understand because it speaks to us about our role in participating with Christ as intercessor, advocate, and mediator for the life of the world. So we know to the east we know what we face, or at least we keep saying what we know what we face. We grow in the knowledge of what we face, and that is we have the sanctuary, and we have the altar that is both the eternal altar and is also the eternal throne of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all face that. So that's to the east. What is right in the middle of the temple? I'm sorry? The nave, and, and who is in it? The people of God. The priesthood of all believers is, I call it, in the middle of everything. God has placed us in the absolute middle of everything. Now, we are facing paradise because we know that the liturgy, just like our Christian life and communicates about our Christian life, that our Christian life is a constant ascension. So we're facing looking upward at an ascension to that altar to the experience of paradise. But it also communicates something else to us where we're postured in the temple itself. Do you notice that we are placed in between the throne of God, and all of those outside of the ark of salvation. We come into Christ's holy temple, and we take our place standing or sitting at times, but we are in between paradise and the throne of God 
and people outside of the Ark of Salvation. And that tells us something critical because the role of intercession, based on what we see defined and lived out eternally by our Lord Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ is the one who, as they would say, stands in the gap, interceding before the Father for the life of every soul, your soul, every soul in the Ark of Salvation, but also the souls that must come into the Ark of Salvation so that they might encounter and receive paradise. So modeled after him standing in the gap, here we are to worship God, but in our worship we also are intercessors for the life of the world. We are joining with Christ who is present with us in the liturgy. We're joining with Christ as he intercedes for the life of the world, joining in with his prayers for the life of the world, and in such a way by grace are participating in Christ's ministry as intercessor, as mediator, and as advocate. There was an Old Testament scripture from the prophet Joel that shows this very plainly, even in the structure of the Old Covenant temple, where the prophet Joel, in, in Joel in chapter 2, he says these words, Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep where? Between porch and altar. Let the ministers of the Lord weep between porch and altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Do you see the posture? In between the porch and altar, you know the narthex. The narthex, the room we enter into before we get into the nave, you know that means portico, porch. We literally stand as the priests in between porch and altar, and what do we cry out? Spare your people. Have mercy. That's what the Kyrie is all about. Lord, have mercy, not just on us, most certainly on us, but not just on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on me. And Lord, have mercy on every soul that hasn't tasted the delights of paradise yet. And we stand in the middle in that role. And so I want us to look at the role of intercession and mediation between God and mankind. Kent, would you do me a favor? Would you go to that? That's the loudest air conditioning, and it's roaring. Go ahead and kick that up to 75. We've got the other ones going. Thank you. Let's look at the role of intercession and mediation because this is the part we need to understand. What is Jesus Christ's ministry? As intercessor, mediator, and advocate, if we don't know that, we can't participate. We don't know what we're doing in participating in that ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. To begin looking at the role of our Lord Jesus Christ as intercessor and mediator and advocate, we have to start in the Old Covenant with Moses. Because Moses, we all know, and we've, we've heard this from time to time here, that Moses was most certainly a type of Christ. And he was a type of Christ in many ways. We know that he was the chosen one by God to deliver God's people from the oppression of slavery in Egypt and bring them into a place of being God's own people in the promised land where they could worship him and serve as his people. He was the instrument through which God did all of those plagues 
including at the very end, the Red Sea closing on the people of God's enemy, Pharaoh and all of his mighty army, destroying their oppressor and freeing them to go be with him. Moses was used for this. But Moses was also the mediator and advocate for the people standing before God, standing before God on their behalf, standing in between God and his people and crying out for their needs and crying out for the mercy of God. How many times were God's people adulterous and faithless and Moses had to go before God pleading for mercy when he, when he kept stating things of destruction? I want to give you one of the most beautiful examples of that. And it comes from Numbers in chapter 14. And let me, let me back up. I think you need to understand where we are in this narrative. So Moses has led the people of Israel to the promise, the brink of the promised land, the Jordan River, for the first time since their slavery and their deliverance. And he tells Moses, send out spies into the land. You remember this? Send out the spies. So you had Joshua and you had Caleb and you had the rest of the spies and they went into the land and they scoped it out. And they came back and Joshua and Caleb and all of them say how wondrous and beautiful and bountiful the land is, this promised land. And Joshua and Caleb were excited that they were going to inherit this by the will of God and by his power and might. But you remember the rest of the spies, they lacked faith. They saw what was in there and they said, there's no way we can take this. And so they started stirring up the people and the people went into a revolt. They were actually crying out things, if only we had died back in Egypt. If only we died back in Egypt or in this wilderness, it would be better for us to go back into our slavery in Egypt. They're crying out for this. And Joshua and Caleb try to build their faith and encourage them, no, have we not seen all that God has done? But what do they do? They continue to rebel and they pick up stones to even stone Joshua and Caleb who were filled with faith. Listen to what the Lord says. And I want you to hear Moses speaking and responding back to the Lord, standing in between God and his people. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs that I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And now Moses responds, and here is his mediatorship, his advocacy, his intercession before God on behalf of the people. And Moses said to the Lord, then the, Egypt, then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to all the inhabitants of the land what you've done. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud in day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your name will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring his people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness." Then listen to his prayer now. And now, Lord, I pray, let the power of my Lord be great. Just as you've spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, 
but he no me by but no means does he clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Lord, pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Do you hear what he's praying? It's one of the most beautiful prayers because what he's really praying is this. Lord, the destruction of your people is not who you are. Giving mercy to your people, being long-suffering, sustaining their lives and bringing them to yourself. That's who you are. So be who you are. Now listen to what the Lord says. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. It's an incredible thing we're witnessing here. And I want to point out some significant things we see in that passage. Number one, you certainly see Moses as mediator and advocate for God's people. The people deserve death. And there is no argument to that. The people denied God. They were being adulterous, constantly adulterous. They were being absolutely faithless. They were denying the possibility that God could do anything good for them. They were casting him away and saying, we want our slavery back. Give us our slavery back. But what does Moses do when God speaks what they deserve? He places himself between God and those people that God created and brought to himself. And he prays for them. How will you be glorified if you give them what they deserve? Show them and the whole world who you really are. I'm changing the words, but this is his prayer. Show them and the whole world who you really are. You are a God of mercy, long-suffering, you are the God who forgives sins and iniquities. This is who you are, who you've revealed yourself to us that you are. Lord, be who you are, even to them, even now. And I tell you this right now, that is the mediatorship of God's people. We'll look at this more in a bit. But standing in between God and man and ourselves and saying, God, be who you really are. That's our mediatorship, our intercession. What is Moses doing as intercessor and mediator? He's saying that very thing. On behalf of all, be who you are. He's standing between the throne of God and those who have fallen short. Those in need of mercy, those in need of redemption, those in need of healing, and he's crying out to God, have mercy on them and mend them. Keep them to yourself. This is the posture of our true intercession. But the second thing I want to point out that we need to understand, and the fathers speak about this, is that by Moses walking in his role of intercessor and mediator and advocate between God and the people, Moses is the one becoming more like God all the time. Moses is the one becoming more like God all the time. Do you really think that Moses changed God's mind? No. Come on. He gave, they gave themselves up to sin. They did. Any one of us can do that, and God can't help us if we're not willing to turn ourselves over. That's but right. By the prayers of the people around us as intercessor, that yeah. door stays open, yeah. that my heart can change. Yeah. You know, this is no different. You're absolutely right. This is no different. You mean, you remember the, 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 when Christ was with the Samaritan woman and she was crying out for mercy and he kept putting her down? making her feel like a dog, less than human, seemed cruel, didn't it? 
does it not seem a little bit unlike God, I'm going to destroy my people right here in the desert right this moment? Same feel to it, isn't it? But what was our Lord doing with that woman? He knew how to draw faith out of her. He knew precisely how to draw faith out of her. And he knew with Moses that if he challenged Moses like this, that Moses would draw nearer to the true heart of God on behalf of his people. And Moses would show himself growing in the likeness of God through his own intercession for his love of the people and his love for God and that God may be glorified by what he planned to do on behalf of his people. It's Moses who is changing. And I tell you that as we participate with Christ our God in intercession, in advocacy and mediatorship over the souls of one another, over our own souls, and over the souls of those who are lost outside of the ark of salvation, we are the ones being transformed through theosis. Because he draws us near to his heart, because his heart is always interceding, which we're going to get to in just a minute. And Moses would be this advocate, mediator, intercessor so often when the people were in need of water, he would stand in between God and the people with that need. Lord, your people are thirsty. And then God would say, go take that staff and strike the rock. And miraculously through the rock, enough water for thousands of Hebrews would be there for them and sustain their life. Lord, your people are hungry. And God said, I will provide manna in the morning and in the evening I will provide quail. And how was all this happening? The needs of the people came up to the surface. Moses took his place in between God and the people and he prayed for what God desired to do, which is not let them die. His heart was joined to God. And then you see God act on behalf of his people by the joint mediatorship where Moses was already with the desire and will of God. Are you seeing this? I don't want to confuse. I mean, I hope I'm not being confusing. Am I? Are we good? Okay, thank God. Thank God. Because this, I say that because it's so important that we, I think we have misconceptions about what intercession is. And I think we have, we all, including the one talking to you, has much room to grow in understanding our role as the priesthood in mediatorship and intercession before God on behalf of mankind. And that's what we're trying to move forward in today. So that's Moses. Everybody gets that posture of Moses standing in between the people and God with their needs that God would be who he is to the people. That's the prayer. Yeah, Marilyn? Weren't there times that Moses No question, just like us. That's what's so comforting to me about Moses. He also misrepresents God, which costs him being able to lead them into the promised land in the end. Rob? Uh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, but I don't know if this makes sense, but we've been praying a lot for you know, peace in yep. Russia and Ukraine. Absolutely. And so, I mean, when I think about it, you know, for that for something like that to happen, yes, there would be there had to be like an agreement between like world leaders, most likely. Absolutely. And so, but that would you know, it's it would seem like you know, but those world leaders they have free will, so and God can't interfere with that free will. So mm. what exactly? Exactly like me. You had free will. You had free will. Yeah. And you were set against God for a while in your life. Right. 
but something changed. And he drew, now follow me, because this is the answer to your question. He drew your heart to turn, to change, to transform, right? And it moved you not from going away from God, but it turned you towards him. When we pray for peace, and if you listen to that prayer that we pray, our orthodox prayer for peace for the world, it's talking about the leaders of this world, that they would love the peace of Christ, that their hearts were praying for their transformation. You see? So, like, what mechanisms is God, like, manipulating to bring about that change to someone if he can't, like, directly, like, change their heart? You're asking me a mystery right there. How does God change the heart of man? Does he manipulate nature to... No, I, I don't, you know, he's God. How does he make the Eucharist Eucharist? Yeah. I don't know. But, but wait, wait, but I, no, seriously, stay there. We're not going to understand the how. We'll see, we may see how in the process of his turning hearts. You see? You follow me? What we're praying, we're joining ourselves to what Christ is praying. You see? <laughs> And you're right, the will of man is never infringed upon, right? Ever. But how many souls have completely turned from their wicked ways and come into the kingdom of God by his revelation to them of himself? What would I say ultimately is the mechanism without giving molecular definition to it? What is the, what is the mechanism that God uses to turn hearts away from what they're doing to something better, the revelation of himself to them. That he reveals himself. And when God reveals himself and people lock on to that, hearts change. You see? So, same thing as Moses praying for people in the wilderness, right? It's the same aspect of that intercessory prayer. What we're really praying... Even when we pray the Lord have mercies for ourselves, we're asking the Lord by his revelation, show me the light of your countenance, right? And I'll be made whole. So, like, it's kind of like, um, there are a lot of, uh, I guess, Christians that sort of believe that kind of God has this plan. We're I know. Kind of like living through God's plan, but it really is like, would you say that kind of we, I don't know, like God is not so much in control, but we are sort of like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm never going to say God's not in control, but I'm also well, not, yeah. I'm not, I'm also not going to say well, that his have, control has taken away the will of man. Right. Well, God right? will have victory in the end, but do you think that like, you know, we still have, I don't know how to say it, but like, I don't, I don't really know how to say it. Okay, pause for a second. Pause for a second. Think about it. I'm going to continue because we're going to keep talking about Christ's mediatorship. And it may help clarify some things. Come back to me in the end of, if we're still wrestling. But, but the, I know what you're trying to, you're, you're asking all the right questions and you're after the right thing. Okay? So hang in there for a minute. All right? You follow me? Because I know where you're going. And even if this demands a conversation beyond this, I think it'll be very helpful to you. All right. Okay. So we've talked about Moses. Now we're going to come to Christ, our mediator and advocate, and see about him. 
as it's proclaimed in the liturgy, numerous times in the liturgy, at least twice, we call Christ our mediator and our advocate. We say it verbally as a revelation. It's been revealed to us that he is our mediator and advocate, which means he is standing as the great high priest in between God and all of our souls at all times. And we see it clearly in Scripture. St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, how shall he not with him also freely give all things? Who shall bring a charge, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Excuse me, it is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Our Lord is in eternity, where our physical body is joined to his divinity eternally. This is the most incredible wonder. If that's not the case, none can be saved. He ascended and he took our fallenness into his divinity, keeps it forever, and is interceding for us. Okay? Eternally standing before God for the souls of those who he has created just in that posture as we see with Moses. And then we have this incredibly beautiful of the action of intercession of our Lord from, the, from Hebrews. And there are many glimpses of this in Hebrews. But I'm going to share with you Hebrews chapter 9, one of my favorites. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, of, not of creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. You've got to picture this. Every time we go before Christ, whether it's collectively saying, Lord, have mercy, doing the Kyrie, or whether we're in confession and we're asking God for mercy, Lord, have mercy on us for these reasons. And not only that, but when we just in our own lives have sinned against God and are convicted and we go to Jesus Christ in that moment, you have to picture what's going on. Our Lord Jesus Christ is receiving that cry for mercy, and he is standing between us and the Father with redemption by his own blood shed once and for all, saying, Lord, let it, Father, let us give this one mercy. This one belongs to us. And if that's not one of the most comforting things, one of the things that denies Satan more than anything his voice and saying, you're not worthy, you dare not go before God. Well, by the price of his blood, Christ positioned himself to the Father between you and the Father so that you could come to him and so that you could receive mercy and find salve of your conscience and be restored from those deeds, you see? And that's what he's doing with us. And I can hardly fathom that, but it's a wonder to me, the love of God that has done this for us that he's our intercessor in this way. Now, I mention, if Christ is standing between the Father and all and the souls of all men, 
And I said that we are called to a participation in his ministry because you're not out there interceding as one alone, just crying out to God. You have to get the understanding that our calling is that we have been by grace invited into the actual participation of Christ's intercessory prayers, his prayers for the souls of mankind. We're, we're, think of it this way, as Christ does, we are taking the souls of our brothers and sisters in Christ, one another. We're bringing our own soul and the souls of all the world outside of Christ in need of the experience of his redemption and his salvation and paradise. And it's like we're taking those souls just as Christ is and with his hands underneath laying them before the Father praying the same prayers. We participate in that. And when I say we participate in the ministry of Christ, what do I mean? I mean this in the same way that Moses participated with what God's heart was. And in the same way that we see the disciples participating with Christ in his ministry when the 70 are sent out. You remember when the 70 are sent out, Christ breathes on them and empowers them. And he says, go into those villages and heal the sick. Man, if I am those disciples, I'm like, you asked me to do what? No, no, you're the one that heals the sick. But he says, no, no, you go. Go and heal the sick and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near to you. So they go, and they go and they come back proclaiming everything that they saw. The sick were healed as we anointed them. Demons were cast down every time we commanded them. Well, what does that look like? Who was it that healed the sick? our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it that casts out demons? And they'd seen cast out demons previously to this. Our Lord Jesus Christ. What the disciples just did when they went, they realized that even though they had left Christ for a moment, he never left them. And our Lord Jesus Christ continued healing and continued casting out the demonic in and through them. He invited them to be participators in his ministry. And that's us. And it's us even in intercession. That as Jesus is eternally interceding, we are invited. We are invited to join him in that absolute work. It's also what we see when Christ invited his disciples to participate in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember the people were hungry for days because Christ had been ministering to them, thousands of people. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, they're hungry there. I mean, they're going to pass out. We've got to do something for them. Notice what our Lord doesn't do. He doesn't automatically cause manna to come from the ground and quail to fly in real quick. What does he do? He asks them a most important question and significant question. He looks at his disciples and he says, what do you have? What do you have? And they look and they have a little bit of bread, a little bit of fishes. And how do they participate? He's invited. By the way, that question, what do you have? That's Jesus inviting them to participate in a miracle in the face of an impossible situation to sustain the lives of thousands. And so what do they have? We got this bread. We got this fish. All they did was offer what they had. And he took that offering. He blessed it. And you see the miracle that happens. And they all took part in feeding the people. Do you see the participation? We have to lock into the fact that our intercessory prayers are participation in the same way, with the same spirit, 
with the same invitation and the same ordination of our Lord Jesus Christ as we are that kingdom of priests. And I think a lot of times the problem that we have, myself included, has always been a lack of understanding about intercession and and joining Christ as mediator and advocate, standing in that gap between the Father and the souls of mankind. We've had a problem with a lack of understanding. I pray some of that is going to begin to get cleared up with what our Lord is showing us today. But there's a second problem that we have, if we're honest. And the, it's the problem of the way that we see ourselves. The way that we see ourselves. And I want to go back to that very narrative from Numbers in chapter 14. If you remember, when the spies came back, Joshua and Caleb filled with faith. But what, what did the others report? They said it is as beautiful as, the, as Joshua and Caleb are saying, but... And there's the but. Here we go with the last. As soon as you say but when you're offering something, you know you got a lack of faith. So watch that word, folks, okay? But we saw the inhabitants of that land, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You see, the problem was not just a belief. They, what miracles had they seen God do to release them from captivity and then even on their way to this place? Miracles beyond imagination, miracles the like of which you and I would long to see. They'd seen them. It wasn't that they believe, didn't believe that God could do things. They just didn't believe He could do them through them. You see? Do we not struggle like that? Every day. And then more. Do we really believe that if Christ is calling us and has graced us and given us divine power to stand in the gap with him, interceding from his heart and will, do we believe that his heart and will will be done as we participate with him in interceding for souls, or war, or famine, or pestilence, or whatever it is, or the sinfulness of man, or how man has turned against God. Do we believe that as we join with Christ, praying the prayers that He gave us in the church, and also, on top of that, from the Holy Spirit, He has put within us to be able to pray things that we can't even fathom? Do we believe that God can accomplish His will as we cooperate with Him participating in intercession, or do, we, or, or do we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes? Because I tell you this, as long as we are deceived to see ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes, is there any wonder we fail in our prayer life? Is there any wonder our prayer life is scattered, never consistent, and sometimes it feels like the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Well, I got news for you. Even when the prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, you're participating in Christ. You're praying His heart and His will by those liturgical prayers. And I believe this. If we believed that Christ has joined us to himself and offered us and ordained us for this ministry to participate with him in his intercession, advocacy, and mediatorship over this world. 
I believe our whole prayer life would get blown into the what should be right very quickly and that the priorities of our life would change drastically if we really believed that when we pray the heart of God, that we will see his kingdom move forward in this earth and we will see hearts change. My friends, I'm going to give you just a couple of examples just, just to look at this. I'm going to start with this. Our prayers for missions and evangelism, our orthodox prayers that I've had you praying for five years now. Lord Jesus Christ, thou good shepherd of the sheep who didst come to seek and save that which was lost. We beseech thee to be present in thy power. Did you hear that word? Not present with intellectual teaching of good news or something nice to think about. It's like Paul said to the Ephesians, I didn't come to you with clever words. I came to you with demonstrations of power. The reality of the risen Jesus Christ. And we pray, we beseech thee to be present with the, in thy power with the missions of thy church in this our land. Show forth thy compassion and so on and so forth. Bring the wanderer's safety into thy fold. If you don't believe that prayers, when we participate, that's the heart of God we're praying. It's the will of God. It's the mind of God we're praying. And if you struggle to believe, that when we participate with his heart and his mind and his will in that mediatorship and advocacy and intercession, then you're blind to what's going on around you in this parish. Because we have done no programs to bring people's souls here. We have prayed the will of God. And, the way, and by our prayers, we've been transformed into it where many here are inviting people to come and see. And then when they're not inviting people, God is drawing people to us, surely because I believe this wholeheartedly, he is honoring our desire for his heart for praying these prayers. That's why we're seeing souls. And I'll never stop praying it. And more of us, God, what would God do if even more of us prayed these prayers? We'd happily have to take out a wall, thank you very much, and I'd be glad to do it. Right? Right. And when we pray for peace for the world, like we're praying in there, what, do we not believe that no matter how God does it, we are joining ourselves to his heart for this world and his heart specifically right now for the people in the Ukraine and in Russia, that God would breathe his peace and turn those people to the revelation of who he is as the Prince of Peace and that only God knows, I don't care how he does it, but I know it's his heart and I will be amazed to see how he does it as we pray, you see? When we pray for the parish from St. Aidan's prayer book, Lord, strengthen the faithful, relieve the sick, turn and soften the wicked, rouse the careless, recover the fallen, restore the penitent, and remove all hindrances to the advancement of thy truth. We pray the heart of God. We are participating in what Christ is praying for our parish. And he longs to do and is doing each and every one of those things. And I'll give you one more because it's very precious to me as a father of three. The prayers for a parent's prayer that's in here. When we as parents pray for our children, Lord, be thou their God and Father, and mercifully supply whatever's wanting in me. Through frailty or negligence, strengthen them to overcome the corruptions of the world, to resist all solicitations to evil, whether from within or without, 
and deliver them from the secret snares of the enemy. Pour thy grace into their hearts and confirm and multiply in them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, my children, I'll tell you something, Robin, here you go. You talk about the will of man. Unfortunately, when I gave, when, when my wife gave birth to kids, they had a will. I didn't plan for that. And I don't like it a lot of times, right? I don't want to hear that, Kathy. But you're right. And much like me, unfortunately, as we all know, yes? So I pray that prayer for them every day. And you know, there are days that they don't choose the will of God. And they suffer the consequences. But I don't stop praying for that. Because by those prayers, they repent. And they turn. And you parents that have children that have long left the church, never stop praying that prayer because time is irrelevant. We keep praying the heart and the mind of God over our children. And we place them in the hands of the only one that knows how to redeem them. The only one who knows how to, like we talked about as the good shepherd, bring those blessed children back to his breast. And sometimes when we pray for our children, remember this, there's two things going on. It will be effective in their lives. But I'm becoming more like my heavenly father when I pray them. Don't forget that aspect of our participation in intercession. When we pray for our kids who are struggling and lost and struggling in the ways of this world, we are participating with the heart of Christ who's praying these things to the Father on their behalf, and we are taking on that nature ourselves of God. Does that make sense? <laughs> you are the kingdom of priests. You're the kingdom of priests and part of your vocation and a great part of your vocation is to participate with Christ in his intercession, his mediatorship. I pray that you're seeing this and can grow in the truth of what we're talking about today. You pray for me because I need to. But the reality is we have got to take our place between God and the souls of all mankind to be the church. And in fact, I'm going to tell you this. If we're not doing it, we're not being the church. Because the church is this. You're ordained for it. So walk in the grace and pray, knowing that you're praying the heart and will of Christ, entrusting to him everything that you're praying. Does that make sense? Yeah? Rob, anything else on that point? I want to go back to you. Kind of what I was thinking about, like what I was kind of trying to say is like, sometimes I listen to like the AM radio stations mm -hmm. and you know they have like the end times prophecy stuff Yep. and they have like and their theology is like you know every world catastrophe every war yeah. is a part of you know God's plan and like that's not what we believe right like that like you know 9-11 is not God's will that's not a part of his plan that's man's will that's right and like I think what that's right say is like mm -hmm. Good. We're praying. We're praying for God's will to be done. Like that. That's absolutely. Our, that's like our vocation is to like intercede for the world. Otherwise, like joining Him in what He's praying. If there you go. Was God's will. If everything was a part of God's plan. There would be no need for us to yeah. intercede for the world. Yeah. 
at all. So there's a big difference, Rob. Let me help clarify something because there's a big difference between God maneuvering and controlling every jot and tittle of everything in existence because that's not real, right? right? And what God already knows because he's timeless. He sees beginning to the end. There's that great mystery, right? But in time, yes, our our Lord never robs someone of his will, but he does things necessary to bring the will of man that has fallen towards his will. When we pray, that's really what we're, what we're praying, which is what our Lord desires. Because when man's will goes away from the wandering and the destruction, whether it's destruction to the personal soul or the world or other people in the world, when man's soul begins to turn and join itself to God's will, the actions change. You see? You're, you're on to it. You're, you really made a great step there. That's good. Good. Okay, any other last questions? Fine. Yes? So, how do we be more like Caleb than Jacob? Pray. How do we best know God? We take part in the rhythm of the church, which is here as the hub, and then we go be the church in our home, which continues. The continued experience of God... There's only one reason Joshua and Caleb had faith. And there's only one reason that Moses had faith, the experience of God. What he could do, even through them. That's how. Experience God in the rhythm of the church, which is the rhythm of the kingdom of the God, the experienced rhythm of of paradise. Very good. Okay, so I trust that I won't hear from any of you this afternoon because you'll be praying all day until tomorrow. Thank God. God bless you all.